Johnny, Harry McCutcheon was the captain of my soccer team my tenth grade year, and Harry was um, really great guy, still is. Still stay in touch with him, and uh, I, every, his senior year as a captain, he would huddle us all up before the game, and after any goal was scored, he would pull us back together again, and he would pray in the huddle. And I remember this one particular day, I have no idea, you know, if he had maybe the pastor in church or something had talked about this, but one day in the huddle, he said, hey guys, you know, Jesus, he's, he's our friend, right? Y'all know that, right? He's our friend. And he's like, so we just, we talked to him like a friend. And it just really stood out in my mind because even as a 10th grader, it just seemed a little bit, you know, kind of strange to me. And so he was like, let's pray. And he's like, yo, Jesus. We, we just want you to help us win this game, and yeah, and, 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 and you know, and just continue on. He's like, we'll talk to you later, bro. Bye, you know, and, and I was just like, something's, something's definitely not right with that, all right? So, you know, in our text today in John chapter 15, Jesus tells his disciples that if they obey him, they're getting upgraded to the level of his friends. Now, does he mean the kind of friendship that we think about and the kind of friendship that Perry Bacuchin was thinking about that day? Uh, definitely not. And so as today, as we look at what Jesus talked about as friendships, Jesus is not only the model for friendship because of the way he loved us and he gave himself for us, but also he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he makes it possible through his life, through his death, makes it possible that we can live a life of friendship, a life that for the gospel to be because we're transformed by his gift by the gospel, by his death. And so today as we look at this passage, let's think about our concept of God, our concept of Christ, and make sure that we don't fall into one category, which is being flippant about Jesus, but also the other side being overly like Jesus is to be revered to the point where we don't recognize this friendship and intimacy aspect that we have with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So let's pray together and we'll look at John chapter 15. Father God, we thank you for your word that guides us and gives us truth. We thank you that your word is alive, and as my brother Brian texted this morning, God, your, your, your word is truth, and it's our standard by which we uh, live and breathe, and, and we worship you. And God, I pray that today that we will uh, honor you uh, through receiving your word. I know there's people here that are tired. It's Family Worship Sunday. There's kids here. God, I pray you'll allow today to just uh, really soak in and change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So just a little recap from last week. Last week, John 15, the famous passage, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Just an amazing passage of scripture. Won't rehearse that again, but verse 8, Jesus gets there and he says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so he said, bear fruit, and my Father is glorified through that. Now, based on verse 5, where Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, we gave a definition of what fruit is, and John Piper had a great definition. He says, fruit is anything that we can't do, that we can do apart from Christ, that we, we can't do anything apart from Jesus. So it's whatever that we do that we can only be done through the power of Jesus Christ, that is fruit that we produce. The verse says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we can do things, right? But we can do nothing that bears fruit for eternity, fruit for the things that really matter in life, unless we do it through Jesus Christ and his power. And so we'll continue to talk more about that, this passage, but I also gave another definition, one that maybe is a, also easier to grasp hold of and think about, is fruit is godliness, or you could say Christ-likeness. Fruit is godliness, 
displayed over a period of time, clearly demonstrating that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. So think about that for a second. Think about your life, the trajectory of your life. Over time, as you look back, is it clear from not just your public persona, but through your private life, is it, is it reveal itself that you are displaying fruit in your life, that fruit is showing in your life. It's clearly demonstrated that you are living for Jesus and your character and your Christ-likeness is coming out more and more over time. And so that's what Jesus gets at. He gets at the fact that, that we need to allow fruit, allow him to work and fruit to be produced in our life. So what does this look like? Well, I think we're really good at allowing theology and scripture to rattle around into our head and we think about it, but it really never comes out through our hands and feet. And this week in my quiet time, I, I do a group read-through of the New Testament this year with some people, and we were reading in Luke 3, and this is John the Baptist talking to the crowds, and this isn't on the screen, I don't think, I'm just going to read the passage from, because this was my time with the Lord in, in, in John chapter 3, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3, and they said, what do we need to do to repent? And John said to them, he says, whoever has two tunics or coats is to share with one that has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. And he says, tax collectors also who came to be baptized, they said, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to. And even soldiers, Roman soldiers came to him and, he, and they said, what do we need to do? And he said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, but be content with your wages. And so I love this. John, this is pre-cross, pre-Jesus dying on the cross, but, but he points them to the fact that your character, your life, must show that you are truly repenting and turning to God. Your, your life should bear fruit, and we can't just say, well, I, I'm, I need to go bear fruit. But, but John gives them very specifics. That's John the Baptist, and John, uh, the Gospel of John, writer John, will give us very specifics today when we look at our text, but also into the gospel or the epistle of 1 John. And so, very specific that you live your life with character and integrity and honesty. These things are qualities that are fruit in your life, that show Christ's likeness in your life. And in our passage last week, we said that Jesus is more committed to you bearing fruit than you are. Jesus is more committed to seeing fruit produced in those who know him and have a union with him than you are. And proof of that is the pruning process that he talked about last week in our text. That he's going to prune off the branches and make them produce more and more fruit. And so when things happen in your life and in my life, don't think of these things as God being angry with you. Or God doing something to punish you. Look at this as pruning. That there's good happening in the life of a believer so you'll, be, you'll flourish with more and more fruit. And so we pick up today in verse 9. So if you'll turn with me to verse 9, or you can follow along on the screen. It says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So he's telling the disciples, they're either in the upper room or they're walking to the garden at this point, probably passing through even some ancient vineyards, and this illustration is very obvious to Jesus. He's coming to his mind, he's seeing, he's pointing out visually, and he points to the relationship between his father as and, and himself as the pattern of a relationship between him and his disciples. So he says, just like my father has loved me, I'm loving you. And so he says, next, he gives him a command. He says, abide in my love. So just like the father loves me and I love you, I want you to abide in that love. 
And this is um, what he said back in chapter 8. If you abide in my words, you're truly my disciples. So again, if you are demonstrating and producing fruit in your life, by your fruit, that you're, you're proof that you're his disciples. You're truly my disciples if you abide in my word and my word produces fruit. And so we have the responsibility, even though we're in Christ, we're united with Christ, we have a responsibility to engage and enjoy our relationship with Jesus. He says, you abide in my love, and as you abide in my love, fruit is produced. And so we think about our relationship with God. We think about our character. Let's bring it home. Uh, you know, street-level stuff here. As we're living our lives in Bainbridge, Georgia, Decatur County, Cockwood, Donaldsonville, wherever you live, as you live your life, are you demonstrating this life of fruit and boldness for Jesus and, and intentionality in your relationships? An another illustration that came to me from high school. Maybe you can relate to this. Uh, when I was in high school, you know, looking back, it, it was such a nice thing to do, but my mom would always put these little notes in my lunchbox, my lunch bag, you know, and it would say, you know, I love you, have a good day, and that kind of thing. But I remember when I get down on my lunch, and I was like, I hope there's not a note today, right? And I'd be good at like, and i like, hide that, because I feel like the guys see that, they're going to really mock me and make fun of me. And I was embarrassed of the love that my mom was expressing to me. And many of us live our lives ashamed or embarrassed of our love for Jesus Christ. And, you know, I know this is very common among younger people, all right, because the pressure is on you. you. You think, wow, if I live for Jesus, what would happen? It'd be like, you know, like that slip of paper, like I'm going to be made fun of and laughed at. And your, your reputation is everything. But as we get older, let me just tell you, it doesn't go away. You still, your reputation, you care about what people think. You care about the way they look at you. And even people who are in business, you think, how will it, hurt, it will affect my business or my professionalism if I talk about Jesus? And so there's pressure regardless. And so Jesus says, embrace our relationship with him. Don't avoid or be ashamed. Don't let your love grow cold and indifferent. And in fact, I think it's important also that we remember that it, our job, kind of like as we sang in the songs, our job is to encourage one another to not let our love grow cold and indifferent. Because it can happen so easy. It can happen very, very easy. And James talks about that. That, that if somebody's wandering away from the truth, bring them back. You need to go and get them. That's what, if, if anybody read John Piper's Solid Joy's devotion this morning, exactly what it talked about, about we need to be under, understanding that we have a responsibility to each other in this body to help each other so we don't wander away. Because he said the, the end result of that is, and pointed to Hebrews, is damnation, that a true believer does not roam away and leave their faith. A true believer stays and produces fruit. And so it's our job to look out for those who are potentially wandering away. And it can be awkward, and it can be really, really difficult to speak up to those who are in that situation, but it's our job. And so Jesus says, I, as the Father loved me, I love you. Now abide in my love. And then you might ask the question, how do we do that? How do we abide in our love, in his love? Well, verse 10, just straightforward, answers that question. It says, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Wow, right? That's very clear, very straightforward. Now, what Jesus is not saying here, he's not saying, if you want me to love you, you have to obey. He's saying, if you love me, you will demonstrate it through obedience. Because the gospel, the scriptures, never point to the fact that we earn love through obedience. 
obedience is evidence, and Scripture constantly talks about this, uh, that it's evidence of our love for Jesus. And so Jesus points to his relationship with the Father as an example of what it means to abide and to obey. And to me, this is critical. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So if we think of obedience only as like this long list of rules we have to follow and all these things we do and we check them off and God is happy with us, we're missing the point. Because look at Jesus' own life, which he points to. He points to himself in his relationship with his Father. And he says, just as I have kept the, my Father's commandments, you're to keep my commandments. And we never see in the Gospels, we never see God say, okay, Jesus, here's your list of do's and don'ts for the day. Go out and do these things, and if you do them properly and correctly, then I'm going to be happy with you. And if you don't, I'm going to be very disappointed with you. You know, that's kind of the way human relationships work, right? That's the way that it functions on earth. But that's not the way the Father and Jesus worked in this. It was in a relational context. And the imagery that Jesus gives here is relationship. It's obedience within the context of a personal relationship with his Father. So he's hearing from his father. He's in this relationship with his father. And now he says to his disciples, abide in me. How do we do that, Jesus? Keep my commandments. Obey me. Obey what I'm telling you to do. Just like I obey the father, the father says, do this, and I do it. Because why? I'm eager to please my father. I love my father. We're in this love relationship together. And so it's out of this love that I obey. And so Jesus is a living person. And obedience to a living person looks totally different than being uh, committed to a set of rules or commandments or laws. Okay? If you're, if you're raised in certain religious traditions, your mindset here is just check the boxes. Like, I just got to go and do the stuff, and God will be proud of me, and God will be happy with me. And that is not the gospel. In, in fact, the term we use for that is legalism. It, it's this idea of thinking that if we obey that God will then accept us. And that's for, true for salvation. i got this mindset where if I do the good things and not as many bad things, then God's going to be happy and he'll accept me. But it happens for believers also that we can begin to think because I did the stuff that God's happy with me. And we fall into this legalism way of thinking. And Jesus confronted the Pharisees about this so many times in one specific incident in Luke chapter 11 where he told them they were so good at being clean on the outside. He said, you cleanse the outside of the cup. But he says, inside, there's no obedience, there's no fruit. He says, you're full of greed and wickedness. Full of greed and wickedness. But they thought because they looked pretty impressive that everything was okay. But discipleship is always first a matter of submission of the heart before it's ever a matter of the behavior. So people think of a holy person as someone who keeps all the rules, but it goes much deeper than keeping the rules. Holiness is an attitude of the heart which looks to God and says, God, you're holy, and I love you, and I desire to be holy, and I want to join you today in the work of redemption. I want to join you in your work because I love you. 
But legalism is, is such the opposite. It says, I better flip open my Bible today and read a couple verses because otherwise I feel guilty about it. And it says, I better pray a verse or two, I mean, uh, pray real quick and pray for some things. You know, I better thank God for the day and my health and safety because, you know, God, you know, what will happen if I don't pray? And it's this very legalistic, like, I, it's about me. I need to make sure I check off the boxes and do the stuff and do the list. And that's legalism. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is given this picture of a vine connected to these branches. And because of this life-giving nourishment and nutrition that goes through to the branches, they produce fruit. It's this image of this intimate relationship. And so I'm going to encourage you, and I'll end with this as well uh, in the head, heart, hands application. But I want to encourage you to really think about your prayers. And I've mentioned this over the years. Think about the prayers that you pray because it really starts there. It really starts with how are you talking to your Heavenly Father? Is it just do this, fix this, make this happen, keep all these people safe, amen? Or are you really having prayers that truly are kingdom-focused and kingdom-centered? I was reading in Philippians this week, chapter 1, and Paul prays this incredible prayer for the Philippian church. And I took this prayer, and it's very short, and I changed it around and put it in the first person as if Paul was praying for himself to give us a model of what I'm talking about rather than just coming up with one on my own. In chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, let's change it around and say, I pray that my love will overflow more and more, and that it will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding I want to understand what really matters so that I may live a life that's pure and blameless until the day that you return. Fill me with the fruit of your salvation. What is it? The righteous character produced by living in you. For only in this will you receive glory and praise. You see? It's exactly what Jesus said and Paul says it. It's living in you that the fruit is produced. It's only as we stay connected and we abide and we, we, we deepen our relationship with Christ that we grow more and more and produce more and more fruit. And so this is a prayer that seeks to be on the same page as Jesus. This is, this is friendship with Jesus. And this is how Jesus redefines his relationship with his disciples. Look at, skip down to verse 14. It says, you are my friends. He tells his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I heard have heard from the Father I have made known to you. So this is not a relationship based upon duty. It's, it's based on friendship. Why? Look what he says again in verse 15. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. All that I heard from the Father I have made known to you. So the, the master, what does he do? The master just tells the servants, go do this, all right? And he evaluates what they do based upon, did the job get done to the way, the level that I told you to do it? I'll be happy if you did it correctly. I'll be angry if you didn't do it right. They don't know the inner workings of the business. Most of the time, servants just do what they're told to do. But Jesus says that you're no longer a servant only, but you are a friend, and I let you in on what my heart is about, what I'm doing in this world. And that's a huge deal. His disciples heard this. This is huge because in Scripture, the only references I could find 
to people who were friends with God were Abraham and Moses. All right, Abraham and Moses. So for the disciples being called the friends of God, the friends of Jesus, this was a huge deal. This was a game changer. But lest the disciples jump to conclusions that Jesus was just saying, you know, you, you're just like me. You're equal to me. We're all the same. We're, we're just horizontally, we're just the same. Jesus makes it clear that they're, they're not equal. Look what he says in verse 14. Uh, he says, and you are my friends, what? If you do what I command. If you do what I command. And Jesus mentions several times in this farewell discourse that his disciples are subordinates. All right? So this is not saying that we're on level playing field now. Jesus is saying that I'm letting you in on, through the cross, through the gospel, through the resurrection, through the Holy Spirit, I'm letting you in on what I'm doing in this world. That's a friendship level of relationship. That's not just go and do this thing. And so we saw it earlier when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He said they should call him teacher and Lord, but he's also our friend. But he's also King Jesus. He has the authority to say, you're my friends if you keep my commandments. He has the authority to demand obedience. That's what Jesus does. Jesus the king, he gives us unlimited access to his throne room. We come to him in prayer. He's our great high priest, but he's our friend, but he's King Jesus. And so what did Jesus mean by friend? Jesus is indicating that through the Holy Spirit, his relationship with his disciples will involve communication and support rather than just simple dictatorship. Let me say that again. Jesus is indicating that through the Holy Spirit, his relationship with his disciples will involve communication and support rather than just simply dictatorship. So Jesus invites his disciples, he invites us into his inner circle. He doesn't just give us the commands. He shares his friendship with us. He has a relationship with us, and his friendship makes our obedience to him a delight. It makes it a delight. While this passage and others show that obedience grows out of love and, in, in, and it responds in love to Jesus, we must not ever forget who's in charge, right? We can't forget that he gives the commands. He sets the agenda. You're my friends if you do what I command. It's Christ's life inside of us. It's this union with Christ, and we experience his love, and we treasure him. We treasure what he treasures. We want what he wants in the world, and he uses us as his conduits to make that love known in the world. So we remain in God's love, and it's not some mystical experience. Abiding is not a mystical experience. It's having the words of Jesus and responding to them in obedience, plain and simple. It's the word you have and it's given to you, you, res- you read, it, you hide it in your heart, and you respond to it in obedience to it. And when you have a proper understanding of this, as I talked about last week, we talked about verse 11 briefly, but let's go back to verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus intends his disciples, his friends, to be both spontaneous and happy, rather than burdensome and boring, all right? He's looking to say, this is where life is found. It's not found in keeping the rules. It's not found in you being in charge of your life. It's found in this intimate relationship that you can have with me, like a vine connected to the branches, and you abide in that relationship. You live in that relationship 
that relationship flourishes and that you find this incredible joy and religion. Look, religion is boring and it's burdensome. And, and the truth is, the reality is, if the word of God is boring and burdensome to you, you have to ask yourself, do I know Jesus? Because if the Holy Spirit's in you, he's taking the word and he's making it alive in your life. Now, I'm not saying that you're not an emotional person. We all go through emotions. There's some days when I get up and the word just jumps off the page. It, it's like God's giving me application, how to apply it. He's, I'm praying it. And there's some days where I'm rubbing my eyes, trying to stay awake as I read and keep my attention. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that every day has to be this mountaintop experience. But it's a continuous process. It's this, it's this lifelong obedience. It's obedience in the same direction. Long obedience, Eugene Peterson says, in the same direction. And we keep seeking God, his word, through this relationship with him. And he continues to change us as we're obedience, obedient to the simple words of scripture that he gives us. That's what God is after with us. And so we can be his ambassadors on this earth. That's why he keeps us here. So we can bring glory to him through our obedience by making him known. And then he says, real specifically to the disciples in verse 12, he says, if you, he said, if you, you want to abide, obey my commandments. Now look at verse 12. He gives, here's a commandment. Here's one of the things I'm commanding you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus commands us to love others as he loved us. He commands us to love others as he has loved us. Look, you can't command emotions, can you? Be happy. You do that to your kid. Be happy. Take that crying face away and you just be happy. All right? They can maybe suck up the tears and get rid of that for a minute, but they're not happy. All right? You can't command an emotion. And so Jesus says, I want you to love. And so don't think of that as the world teaches love, as an emotion and something you've got to work up to. If I'm going to love, you know, Jerry, you know, I, I, I've got to, um, you know, really, you know, just have this you know, bond with him, and I just got to really know him. No, Scripture says, do what's best for that person. Even if I don't feel it, if I don't even know you that well, it's my job as a believer, through Christ's power and his strength, to look out for the best for you. And right now in this moment, the best thing that, is, that I can give you is God's word, right? Because it's going to change your heart and bring you closer to God and point you to Jesus Christ. That's what you need. And in fact, all our relationships, that's what we need the most is to be Jesus-centered and encourage holiness and follow him. But he says, love each other. So think very practically again. How can I love others? You pray for your K-group. Pray for the people in your K-group. Pray for those who you're trying to influence for the gospel. Lift them up. Depend. Remember, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you can do it on your own strength, then... It's not God working through you, right? So it's a mindset. It says, if your word is going to go out through me today, then I need you. Because I can get up and do it. A few of y'all were at um, Lisa Martin's dad's funeral a few days ago. And just what an opportunity. I told her, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share the gospel with people in that room who needed to hear because it, it really, really was an opportunity where 
I saw that I could get up and do a funeral. I've done dozens and dozens of funerals. But it was one where I, I really had to pause and say, this is an opportunity for the gospel to go out in power and authority to people at one of the most vulnerable and open points of their life, which is through the death of a friend or a loved one. And, and I honestly felt like when, when, I, when I gave the word that there, it was just God speaking through me because I was totally dependent upon him. It wasn't because my words were so perfect and eloquent and, and just the right things to say, but it was the fact that the Holy Spirit was using those words to pierce through hearts and make a difference for the gospel. And we may never know if people responded or not, we may, but the truth is God works in those situations because I acknowledge, apart from you, God, I could do nothing here. Why can't we live that? I mean, it, you say, well, it's easy for you as a pastor because we don't do funerals. We don't stand up in front of people that need to hear the gospel. Yes, you do. Every single day you talk to people who need the gospel, who need Jesus. And so Jesus says we need to love, and love isn't an emotion that we feel. And he points specifically to this love for one another is this commandment. Because why? Just like was mentioned by Sean in the song we sang, by our love for one another, they'll know that you're my disciples. That we can't underestimate how strong the apologetic is of our love for one another. We, the, the defense of the gospel through our actions toward each other. And sadly, even an incredible group of believers like Grace Church, there's people in here that don't talk to each other. All right, there is. There's people you avoid who are brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're like, well, John, you just don't get it. Like, there's a lot of history there. No. God says love one another. Love each other. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, as Sean read, if you love one another. Did you know the early church, the reputation in the first and second century was this incredible love? In fact, manuscripts that weren't biblical manuscripts were found where it was quoted as saying, behold how they, the Christians, they loved, they love one another. How much they love. And it was just, it drew people in because they saw there was something different because they were connected to Jesus and they were connected to that vine and that fruit was being produced. And God still wants that today, not just in the first and second century. Today, he wants to see that. And it's a battle. It's an everyday, it's a battle with ourselves because the DNA of sin, I say a lot, is, is selfishness. It's what do I want? What's good for me? What's good for my little clan, my little family? And it's always looking out for ourselves rather than love looking out what's best for the other person. So love is supernatural, and obeying this commandment is supernatural. At this point, I'm sure the disciples don't understand the extent to what Jesus is saying here. I doubt they get it. The cross is coming just in a few hours, and he's going to back up his words with his actions. Look at verse 13. It says, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friend. What a great standard, what an amazing standard, and the standard that the disciples are going to see from Jesus just in a few short hours. Sacrificial love. Sacrificial love by Jesus, giving of himself. A model of what friendship with another person is, looks like. You're my friend, and now I'm going to go and give my life for you. And he makes this possible for us to live this life of friendship because he's transformed our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so we need the word every day. We need to nourish this relationship and abide. And as we abide in him and in this relationship, 
he gives us this incredible ability to love each other in a supernatural way that draws people in. John really brought it down to our zip code in 1 John 4, 16 through 18, where he said, by this, we love, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. And then he makes it real personal right here. But if anyone has the world's good goods and sees his brother in need, yet chooses, I'm sorry, closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So he said, hey, love is practical. Love is a verb. Love's action. And it makes a difference in the body. We look out for one another. We're aware. We have a, an awareness of those around us and the needs that exist. Don't wait for people to come to you and tell you their need. Look out for those needs. In verse 16, skip back to verse 16, where we ended up. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Just pause right there for a second. Where did this come from? Why does all of a sudden he tells his disciples, hey guys, remember, I chose you. You didn't choose me. I appointed you. Well, if you know the Gospels or you've been tracking with us through the book of John, the disciples are notorious that Jesus is saying, hey, deny yourself, take up your cross. He says, you know, it, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. And all they're doing is thinking, what's in this for me, right? Like, how is this going to benefit us? Like, Jesus, when you take your throne, like, I want the right side and my brother wants the left side, right? That's the mindset of the disciples. It was prominence, power all the things that the world loves because they thought in their mindset, and they still at this point, they still don't fully get it. They know Jesus is Messiah at this point, but they don't realize he's going to the cross and suffer and die, even as clearly as he said it to them. And so they think Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem the next few days, and he's going to be put on the throne, he's going to rule, he's going to run the Romans out, and they're going to be friends with the king, right? They're buddies, they're friends, they're right there beside of him. Right, they're going to rule in power, and and he reminds them, he brings them back down to earth. Unless they get puffed up, hey guys, I chose you, all right. I appointed you. You didn't pick me. I picked you. And so God has chosen us to participate with Him in this ministry we do on this earth, this reconciliation. Look at verse sixteen. He says that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So again, the picture of Jesus and his disciples in relationship. And all that's going to transpire in the next 72 hours. And Jesus is saying, look, you're going to turn and change this world. I picked you. I appointed you for this. I'm giving you the spirit. Your life's going to be better off when I leave because of the power. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember that I chose you and I appointed you and that you should go and bear fruit. And as you're bearing fruit, as you're producing, as you're being this, doing this ministry of reconciliation, whatever you ask for in my name, I'm going to take care of it. Come to me. I'm your king. I'm your Lord. I'm your friend. Come to me. That person seems like impossible to reach or that person over here that you should be loving and they're hard to love. Do you talk to Jesus about that? Do you say, Father, in your name, in the name of Jesus, I need help to love or to share because I can't do that on my own. 
Like, when I see that person coming, like, I want to run the other way. But you said, Jesus, that it's by our love for one another. And that includes me as well. And so I need to love. And so help me go and to bear fruit and, and show the character and the holiness that I should show. That's what Jesus invites us to. This union with Christ that we talked about. He's inviting you into this relationship if you don't know him. It's, it's a wild ride to depend upon Jesus the way we live our lives. And look, the way the world is telling you to live your life, it ain't working so well, right? To center your life around yourself, your activities, your recreation, your sports, your leisure. Center your life around that, and there you'll find happiness. That's what the world says, but it ain't working. Drug use, alcohol abuse, depression, suicide. These things are just outrageous statistics because it doesn't work. Christians, he's given us a mission. He's given us his person within us. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And so it should humble us that we're his friends, that we've been invited into this mission, and it should just make us so overjoyed that he's there with us to help us bear fruit. So our head application, very simply, the king is our friend. He's the king, but he's our friend. But if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, look, Jesus isn't your friend. All right, I know that that sounds tough. Martin Luther, way back in the day, said this. He said, you must, must know God as your enemy before you can know him as your friend. That's a great reminder, right? Because if you're not in Christ, if you don't have this union with Christ, if you've not placed your faith and trust fully in Jesus Christ, God is against you. He's not for you. You need to turn to him. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Come to him. Look to the cross. Look to his salvation. See the gift that he offers you freely that you don't have to earn or measure up to. He gives it freely through his grace. You respond by faith. It's salvation through grace alone. By faith alone in Christ alone. So the king, he's the king, and we need the king who died for us. He's our friend. And then our heart. Pray kingdom prayers. Pray kingdom prayers. Why? Because what's in your heart and in your mind is naturally going to come out your mouth and your life and your activity. It will. And so pray kingdom-centered prayer. And this one goes hand-in-hand hand with that one. Join Jesus in his work. You can't join Jesus in his, in his work if you're not seeking him and looking to him and asking him. Because you'll just go off and do the good things, the checklist. Oh, I should be nice to that person because he's, he's an unbeliever. You know, I probably shouldn't, you know, be drunk in public because people know I'm a Christian. Or I shouldn't, like, be dishonest and, and rude to my customers or these people I know or this competitor because they know I go to church, right? That's the way religious people operate. Those who truly are joined to Jesus and understand this, they say, Jesus, I want to be part of your mission of reconciliation. You're in me, I'm in you. And God, I'm praying to you, show me today how I can bear fruit in my life for your glory and for your honor. That's what a relationship looks like with God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And, and God, we just confess that the world, church's religion has just jumbled this up and Satan has had a part in this of deceiving people 
to make them think that they have to earn your grace and earn salvation. And that's why you came, Jesus. You offered it freely to us. And it cost you everything. And God, I pray for anyone in here who does not know you as Savior. Today they may come to the foot of the cross and see the sacrifice you made and the righteousness that you offer them through Jesus and his death. And may they exchange their sin for his righteousness. And God, for those of us who are believers, help us to nourish and cherish our friendship with you. Help us to obey you out of a heart of gratitude, out of a heart that, that, of intimacy with you, that we know you and we want to be on the same page with you, working because we're connected to you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.